sing this together. In the good, in the bad times, in the shadow, in the sunlight, it's my joy for my whole life to praise your name. In the good, in the bad times, in the shadow, in the sunlight, it's my joy for my
this morning that the joy of the Lord has been your strength, hasn't it? Amen. Let's continue singing. You'd thought of us before the world began to breathe. And you knew our names before we came to be. You saw the very day we'd fall away from you. How desperately we'd need to be redeemed. Lord Jesus, come lead us. We're desperate for your touch. Oh, great and mighty one, with the one desire we
that prayer, um, it means something significant, doesn't it? We invite the Lord to come and, and reign in us. That means his way, not ours, right? Similarly to this next song that we're going to sing, that's just, it's just a hard song to sing. Can I be honest? Not musically necessarily, but lyrically, the prayer of this bridge, I don't know if, Stephanie, you want to throw up the, the bridge part that's, that the, the prayer says, Spirit lead me, whoops, sorry, the next one. Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. I mean, how many of us pray like, like we like our pizza? Like, like, Lord, I'll go wherever you want, rain in me, except for if it, except for if it looks like this. Except for, you know, everything that Pastor Brian and Pastor Josh have been talking about. Right? So this is, this is hard to pray. Lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. That's his way, not ours. And Jesus says that if you want to follow him, you deny yourself, which is totally different from what the world says. Like, follow your heart, follow your dreams, follow, find you. Ah, no, Jesus says deny yourself. Follow me, take up your cross. I've never carried a literal cross before, but I, I, I don't think it would be super comfortable. So this is hard. This is a hard prayer to pray, but church, can we link arms? Can we pray it together? Anybody? Yes. It's a bold, scary prayer, but let's do it together. It's one body. Let's make this choice to follow unashamedly after him and his way, his way for our lives. Let's sing together. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. So I will call upon your name, and keep my eyes above the waves, when oceans rise, my
Fathers, we gather together today. We know we come into your presence. Lord, undoubtedly, there's been some waves in our lives this week that maybe have seemed pretty big, perhaps even overwhelming. Lord, we also have stories of victory where we've ridden the waves, kind of excited to see how you've helped us through different situations and storms. We come as a mixed lot of people, <laughs> certainly flawed, at times broken, perhaps other times drifting. And we have those moments, Lord, where we not only know where we are, but we know whose we are. And we know, Lord, that you are leading and you're guiding and you're directing. Lord, you, you are the one controlling the winds that, that are at work, blowing our lives in different directions. We thank you, Lord, for that, that we can come trusting you. You've proven yourself faithful time and time and time again. Lord, in those moments, perhaps, when the waves are too big, help us not to worry about what we see, but instead lean into the one that we know is close. As Peter did, Lord, when he sank into the water from, after taking his eyes off you, he cried out to you, might we do the same? 
Lord, immediately Scripture tells us you were there. Continue, Lord, to be faithful as you show us the things in our lives that don't belong, that distract us from you, Lord, or take us in a direction that's not pleasing to you. May we not be afraid of conviction. Give us the courage, Lord, though, to respond when you point things out that we might need to change, to not be so proud or indignant or to try to justify or rationalize, Lord, but to be people who truly desire to worship you and not allow the things of this world to get in the way. These conversations we've had over the last several weeks, they've not been easy, but Lord, they're necessary. We thank you, Lord, for the work you've done. Lord, we also acknowledge there's still work yet that you have started that you've not yet finished. You speak to us today. Would you call those, Lord, that have drifted and wandered? Would you encourage those, Lord, that are wounded or weary? Those that are grieving or having a difficult time or that are uncertain of what tomorrow looks like, Lord, would you be their assurance? Instructed Moses to tell the Israelites that I am has sent them. That great I am, that, 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 that one who is everything. Whatever it is we might need, Lord, you're the answer. So whatever questions we bring today, help us to know we need to turn to you. We give you praise, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for what you're doing. God, we pray that you are glorified in this place this morning. God, come. Do an amazing thing among us this morning. Change hearts, change lives. Transform, reconcile, redeem, heal. Whatever expression, Lord, that we need to see or to recognize or to hear, help us not to block it out. It would be the cause of someone else missing out. May the desire of our heart be to see you. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your presence, the time we have to worship you together. May you be glorified, Father, in this time that we're sharing together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a beautiful opportunity today to share in something that the church uh, has taken very seriously over the years. It's a great responsibility we have, and we're, we're going to dedicate Millie Ann Hicks this morning to the Lord. I want to invite her family to join us this morning, Thad and Sarah, and I think, is Max going to join us too, or just that? Yes, Max is coming too, and, and I, if there's any other family that would like to stand in front and support them this morning, you're welcome to join us as well. I know that could be half the church, but we're going to open up that opportunity anyway, uh, but that it's not necessary. I'm going to have you guys join me up here if you would, okay, and I'll have the family just stand in the front for us, and so... So, so glad and we're thankful for this opportunity. Um, many of us know your story, and we don't take these moments for granted, don't we? We praise the Lord for this opportunity. And we're surrounded by your faith family and your real family today that love you. And this is a privilege for us to share in this moment this morning. Yeah, oddly, uh, my kids, they, they enjoy watching things on television from time to time. But in recent weeks, strangely, one of the things they like to do most, my four-year-old especially, is to get on the Apple TV. I know you got to slow down, Millie. We'll get there, all right? So just be patient. i got to talk a little bit. And look at the pictures that are on our computer because it'll show up on our television, and, and TJ will just spend 
hours watching and looking at pictures. He loves to look at himself as a baby. And it was, is that me? Is that what I really looked like? And he'll see the next year how he's growing. And he gets to see that progression. I think when our children are, are first born, when they're young, we, we kind of look at those external things. We get excited. Does she have our eyes? Thank God she doesn't have dad's hair. I know, just, just, whose nose does she have? <laughs> You'll grow out of that, sweetheart, I promise. Um, whose nose does she have? We look at those external things. Oh, she's getting bigger. She's gaining weight. She's getting taller. She's growing out of the, my favorite outfit that she used to have. Those external milestones, if you will, are important to us. Then eventually it starts to change a little bit. First time she rolls over or sits up. Her first smile or the first time she sleeps through the night. That in itself is a beautiful thing. But as our kids grow, the milestones change. It becomes less about the external, and we get more excited as parents about what happens internally. And we see their character develop, the type of person they become. But what we need to be reminded of is the internal is never an accident. It's always intentional. It's prayerful. It's purposeful. And while she is a beautiful, beautiful baby girl, it's the internal today that we've come to pay attention to. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 is one of the most read passages in all of Scripture. And in Deuteronomy, God gives the Israelites this command, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 tells us is our faith is caught just as much as it is taught. It's lived out. It's modeled for our children. The external we see, but the internal is a little more difficult. Which is why we as a church partner with you. We come alongside of you. Because today, it's less about Millie, much more about you, Thad and Sarah the commitment you're going to make, not just in how you're going to raise her, but how you're going to pour into your own faith, how your own faith is going to be lived out in front of your children. So as a church, we come beside you to equip you, to pass on your faith to your children, to help you establish your home as a place where faith can be taught just as much as it is taught, and to walk with you through the difficult times, to cry with you during times of seasons of loss and hurt, but it's also to celebrate and to laugh and to enjoy those God moments when he shows up in very powerful ways. So I ask you a few questions this morning before we get to the moment where we will dedicate Millie. Thad and Sarah, do you pledge this morning to be a household that intentionally invests in the internal of Millie's life? If so, please respond, we do. I ask you as parents, will you model for her what it means to love and obey the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? If so, please respond, we will. Dad and Sarah, will you strive to set an example for Millie in speech and in life, using God's standard for purity in all of the decisions that you will make? If so, please respond, we will. And finally, will you as parents promise today to train Millie in the way that she should go, so that when she's older, the internal will become real, and she will not turn from it and instead turn to God? If so, respond with the help of God, we will. At this point, I'm going to ask Pastor Mara to share with us the congregational part of this commitment that we're making this morning. As Pastor Brian said, you guys aren't doing this on your own. I'm looking out, and you already have quite a huge and wonderful and strong 
biological family behind you, but we want to remind you that you also have your faith family here. We're all part of the family of God, which gives us the privilege of also being part of your extended family, and we want you to know that you can count on us and rely on us. Um, children are such a blessing in our church. We have had opportunities to, to mourn with you, and we are so excited to rejoice with you today. Thad and Sarah, in standing up here, are reaffirming to all of us that their desire is for their children to grow up in this community. They want us to be those people that come alongside them as Max and Millie are in Sunday school and running the halls of our church, offering those words of encouragement. And um, our charge today is that we, we're going to stand beside them and behind them as they continue to raise Millie. But we don't want those words to be empty. We don't want them to just fall away. We want to echo those throughout the years by being involved in our kids' ministry, in our teen ministry. We want to be a part of their lives all the way through. So um, I ask you, as our body of, of believers, as our faith family, will you commit to encourage, support, and sustain this family as they raise Millie to know the love of Jesus Christ? And if so, will you say, we will? Hello, now it's your turn. Hi. Oh my goodness. Millie Ann Hicks, you are a loved little girl. And today we recognize you are a gift from God. We give you back to him. We dedicate you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for her this morning. Father, to call her a blessing is almost an understatement, Lord. We see your hand in her life, and we thank you. God, we give her back to you. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to watch over her as you have been from the very first moments of conception. Be with her, Lord, in her days as she grows, not just externally, Lord, but grows on the inside. We pray, Lord, for those that will influence her. Of course, Lord, her mother and father. Her extended biological family, Lord, which is extensive, just beautiful to see. So many people to invest and to pour into her. Lord, we pray for her teachers, for those, Lord, you have set in her life already, and those, Lord, have not yet answered that call. May they recognize your voice when that time comes and see the need, the responsibility, Lord, we have to help feed and to build the internal. Lord, as she grows up, we want to pray in advance for her friends, those influences of her life, for her husband, Lord, someday, God, right now that he would be raised by godly parents as well and that he would set out on a path that would honor and glorify you. Lord, we, we tend to not want to get so far ahead of ourselves. We don't want to grow up too fast. But Lord, we want to be intentional about how we pray. Intention, Lord, about how we seek and help her to grow. So we make a choice today. We make a commitment this morning to model for her, to show her the way, to model, to let her see that God is real, that he loves her, and he's already at work in her life. We give her back to you, Lord. We thank you for her. What a great responsibility it is to be a parent today. It's not easy. Lord, it's with confidence and with boldness that we do this this morning. Equip Thad and Sarah in the good times and the bad. Give them wisdom, Lord. Give them courage. Give them grace. Give them rest. We ask all these things, Father, because we know that it's not easy to be a parent. But, Lord, with your help, we can do it. And, Lord, we just give her back to you. Guard her heart. Lord, be glorified in her life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, that's all you got to do to get the pastor to be quiet. To grunt a little bit. So, and we thank you for the privilege of allowing us to walk with you and to be a part of your children's and your life. We're very excited about what God is doing and will continue to do in the life of your family. Let's congratulate this family decision they've made for us this morning. Amen. Thank you.
we all go through these moments where we wonder, where's God at, and is he really at work in our lives, and moments like this, such as this, bear testimony to the reality of his presence and his continuing work in each of our lives. Aren't you glad for that today? Thank you for joining us. If uh, you're, you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we, we are wrapping up a conversation we've been having for the last seven weeks about uh, this war, this battle that's being fought in our lives every day. These gods at war, if you will, little g gods at war for, for our attention, for our time, for our resources, and for our hearts. Uh, we, we've had a challenging conversation on this topic of idolatry. And it, it's one of those ideas that seems almost obsolete, that uh, we, we don't really need to talk about idolatry in our world today. We don't bow down before golden statues or before carved images. It, it's a thought that seems primitive. Uh, it seems kind of irrelevant. Yet idolatry is still the number one issue in all of Scripture. It's discussed in nearly every book. More than 50 of the laws in the first five books of, of, the, of the Scriptures of, of what we call uh, the Pentateuch, if you will, address idolatry. Is in this idea of worshiping something other than God that we discover many of the symptoms of life that are pulling us away from him. We deal with the coughs, often ignoring the illness, not recognizing that the things that we choose to worship are eating us from the inside out. It's not been an easy conversation. God's asked us to kind of confront some of the ways that we live our lives or some of the things that we pursue but in the, the confronting, we're at least recognizing that there is a war being waged around us, for us. Every day, these little gods battle for our attention, for our hearts, for our lives, for our families. Some of them are easily recognizable. Some are more subtle. But when we allow them into our lives, they begin to feed off of our true desires, our hungers, and our wants. What we think brings us fulfillment and purpose before long takes control. It grips us tightly, convincing us they belong before we realize it. We're prisoners by our own choices, by the gods that we choose to worship. We've talked about the gods of success, the gods of pleasure, the gods of acceptance, the gods of, of entertainment, the gods of love, the, the gods of self. All in this build-up to this conversation we're going to have this morning perhaps the most dangerous idol of all for those of us in the church. It's this idol of religion. I've struggled with this week. I've been looking forward to it, but also dreading it. It's a conversation I want us to get right. It's so important. See, Satan doesn't have to worry about a church whose God, whose religion where his idol has become just the way that they do faith, and there's really not much work of the Spirit. There's not much moving of God in our lives, but there's not much work going outside the walls of our church. Satan doesn't worry about us. We're a church like that. He doesn't have to be concerned, but church, I believe God desires much more for us, and that's, I'm not implying that that's who we are, but instead I want to speak against this idea of allowing our religion to become our God. We've been using this analogy of pizza, and I, I think it's one that you obviously like. This is just a fraction of the boxes that we've seen or have been, been talked about or heard about over these last several weeks. We like our pizza. That's become painfully obvious. And each week we've talked about different types of pizza and different styles because that tends to be how we approach 
our, our faith, our religion. I like my faith, I like my church, I like my God a certain way. I like the toppings to go edge to edge. I, I like, uh, or maybe you like a stuffed crust, or maybe you like certain types of sauce, or maybe you like extra cheese, or maybe for some odd reason you like anchovies. I'm not sure why that would be the case, but some of you do. And mushrooms, I'll never quite get that, but it's a pretty popular one. And, and olives, they just don't belong on a pizza. It's just, that's just my opinion. See, I even have my own box in the way that I like my pizza. But if we're not careful, we tend to define and like our God the same way. We like our God to be delivered in 30 minutes or less. Sorry, you're out of luck. Uh, some of us like our God to be a thin crust. Some of you like to have a stuffed crust. It just, we all kind of like faith. We like the practice of our faith in different ways. There's different things that resonate with us. And there's room in our walk with God for, for those things. But when those things become the only way that we practice, with the only way that others can come to know who God is, then we begin to build up these walls. We'll talk about walls just a little bit. We start to create barriers that prevent others from experiencing who God is and the redeeming grace that he offers to us. If it only can happen in the way that we like, very slowly, our faith can quickly become an idol. We have to worship the same way. We have to sing the same types of songs. We have to use the same uh, version or translation of Scripture. But it has to be a certain type of preaching. That's the only way that I hear from God. That can be dangerous. It has to be a conversation we're willing to have. Because as God continues to help us to come to realize what is next for our church, as I still continue to figure out what is next for me as a pastor of this new church for myself, and as you get to know your new pastor, what is this going to look like? What's in here is just part of the equation. Who we are outside the walls of this building is much more important. What are we serving? What are people coming to partake of? What is it they find when they come here? Symbolizing God in a box, how we make it and serve it. That's really at the heart of our conversation this morning. Now, the passage I'm going to use, you can mark it in Scripture, it's John chapter 4. It's a passage that I will use frequently during my ministry. It's a passage I go to quite often. There are so many takeaways, so much for us to learn in John chapter 4, and so important for us to seek as we are beginning a vision process in our church, as we seek out his vision and mission that God has for us, this story is going to be at the center of that conversation because it's a story that exudes mission. It helps us see past the things that often block our view of what's truly in front of us. It helps us to confront perhaps the God of religion in our lives and get to the heart of what Jesus was really all about. Before we get to John chapter 4, let's go back a little bit. John chapter 2. Jesus is in Cana. It's there that he performs his very first miracle. He turns the water into wine at the wedding ceremony. He then goes from Cana to Jerusalem. He's traveling to Jerusalem because it's time for the Passover. So he goes from his first miracle to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's here in John chapter 2 that he clears the temple courts. And he's very, very angry about what the, the market, what the temple has become. It's become a marketplace. People are selling things. and They're gouging people. Jesus throws over the tables. He's pretty upset about what he sees in God's house. In the next chapter, under the cover of darkness, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, Pharisee, who's curious about this man, Jesus, this new teaching, the things that he's talking about. And Nicodemus begins to talk to Jesus about eternity. 
And in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus shares the verse that we all come to know and love. Perhaps we take it for granted where Jesus says, well, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus about how you can have eternal life. And Nicodemus has a lot of questions. There's this back and forth, this debate. Jesus begins to show Nicodemus there's a new way. There's a new teaching. There's a new expression of coming to know who God is and what that life of faith looks like. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus is, is baptizing. He and his disciples are baptizing. He's ba- Jesus is not baptizing. Jesus' disciples are baptizing. And the Pharisees are kind of catching wind because all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're okay with John the Baptist baptizing. That's not too threatening. But then when Jesus' his disciples start baptizing, they start baptizing more people, the Pharisees start getting a little bit concerned. By concerned, I mean upset. Jesus catches wind of this, decides that he needs to get out of town. And in John chapter 4, he, he, he's getting ready to head back to Galilee. He's in the Judean countryside, and the, the, his disciples are baptizing those who are coming to believe. And, and he wants to go back to Galilee, which is north of where they are. It's very important for us to understand geographically where Jesus is located. Because we read in verse 4, as they start to head to Galilee, now he had to go through Samaria. Now that in itself might not mean much to you. But when you start to understand where Jesus was, where he was headed, and where Samaria was located, the story takes literally a left-hand turn. Jesus turns to the southwest. Instead of heading north, because he had to go through Samaria. That verb tense is so critical and important for us this morning. It's curious. Why would he go that way? If you're like me, when you go on a trip, you want to get there as quickly as you can. When I look at the GPS and it says estimated time of arrival, that's a challenge. I have to get there quicker. Am I the only one? I allocate time for stops, for gas, and for snacks. But when you have six kids in the car, that just doesn't work too well. It's always going to take twice as long. We never quite get there as soon as the GPS says we will. But the GPS, if it knows what's good for it, never takes me in the wrong direction. But Jesus, guided by the Spirit, turns southwest and heads through towards Samaria. I'm sure his disciples are a little bit confused. They understand the tension that's in the air, what's going on. Why would we want to take longer to get to where we're going? But Jesus has to go this way. He stops at a place called Sychar, at a well, kind of a rest area along the road, if you will. And at this well, it's a very famous well. It's Jacob's well. It's a well that Jacob himself dug many, many, many years ago. Jesus sits down at the well to kind of catch his breath. His disciples go into town, a Samaritan town, if you will, to get something to eat. It's like one of those signs you see with the restaurants ahead. There's a McDonald's up ahead, and they're going to pull over. He's going to take a break, and the disciples are going to go in and get the food. Jesus waits. As he's waiting, the reason he had to go that way becomes clear. See, Jacob's well, it's Old Testament, it's old school, and he's about to interact with uh, someone who needs to be introduced to something new. A woman, Scripture tells us, comes to the well. Now, it's curious. This woman walks to the well from the town that the disciples just went to, so undoubtedly they walked right past her. What the disciples saw was just a Samaritan woman. First, not of much account or value. No reason to kind of stop or have an interaction. See, they were following Jesus, but yet still having trouble seeing what he was all about, who he really was. This woman that they must have passed by 
They walked right by an opportunity. And when religion becomes an idol, we also often walk right by the very one our religion is supposed to love and reach. In verse 9 of John chapter 4, we, we see this back and forth that Jesus begins to have this conversation with this woman at the well. And she, she, he asks her for a drink. And the woman's kind of like caught off guard. One, because he, he's a Jew and he's talking to her. And she kind of, well, well, why would you ask me for a drink? First of all, don't you recognize that we are culturally different? You don't like us. Because of the way you treat us, we really don't like you either. There's kind of, it's kind of this mutual animosity. And then she goes on to say, you don't even have anything to drink with. Why would you ask me to give you a drink? She goes on to explain uh, the, the, we, we don't drink or together. We don't eat together. We don't kind of share in these moments together. And in Scripture, there's this phase where you know, we don't do this thing together. But underneath the service, what it really says, you don't even use the same utensils I use. I have a kid like that. He'll grab my drink and drink out on my straw, but I try to take it back and drink again. He gets disgusted. What? You got, I got daddy's drink all over my straw. It's my drink. Leave it alone. That, that's not that hard. See, see, this idea of, of getting cooties and germs, that's not a new thing. The Jews would not use the same cup that a Samaritan used. So Jesus asked this woman, with your jar, would you, would you draw me a drink? It opens the door for this beautiful conversation. See, she offers physical water. But Jesus comes offering living water. He begins to talk with her about spiritual things. I'm sure it's not what she expected that day. The last conversation she thought she would be having. Jesus says in verse 10, he answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus knows why he has come this way. He's always on mission. The woman comes for water, but Jesus offers her what she really needs, living water. And today he comes offering us what we really need, of what it is we think we've come for. There's this idea in understanding churches. There, there's, there's kind of two types of mindsets when it comes to recognizing there's more than that, but we're going to focus on two today. The first is a consumer church. Uh, we come to church as a consumer, where we, we see church as a dispenser of religious goods or services, or, or we come to church to be fed to have our needs met through quality programming or, or to hear uh, a quality uh, message or, or to have professionals teach our children about God. And if we go to church as a consumer, if we're trying to be fed, and I've talked to many people that have left churches because they weren't being fed, and the feeding was never the church's responsibility. We, we supplement, we complement, we come alongside of. But we're supposed to grow in our faith to the point where we're able to feed ourselves. But when we are part of a consumer church, or we, when we come to church as a consumer, we often use the phrase, I go to church. I go to this church. This is the church that I go to. But on the opposite side of the spectrum is this idea of a missional church, of being a body of people that are sent on a mission, who gather in community for worship, uh, who have community engagement, who, while we receive teaching in the Word, it's in addition to what we're self-feeding ourselves throughout the week. And when we, when we practice being a missional church, all of a sudden, instead of going to church, we use a different phrase, I am the church. Wherever I go, I am the church. 
whoever I see, I am bringing church to them. With the idea of church not being a facility or just an institution, but rather we're bringing faith. We're bringing grace. We're bringing hope. The woman comes as a consumer. Her whole idea of worship is about consuming. And, and she's having this, beginning to have this struggle as Jesus is revealing some things to her. Some very important things are becoming a reality to her in this moment. We see in verse 15, the woman said, Sir, give me this living water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Still not quite connecting the dots. But she's intrigued enough to ask a question. Give me this water that you're talking about. I don't want to thirst again. This is a lot of work. This is a little bit hard. So this is kind of an inconvenience for me every day. And if I don't have to do this, that would be great. My life would be easier. And often we look at church as a way of making life easier, making us feel good, or filling a need that, that we need to have met that, that's really not spiritual, that's more based upon our own desires. And Jesus cuts right to the heart with his response to her in this moment. He gets right to the source of what true worship is. Verses 16 through 18, he talks about the woman's sin. He says, first, go get your husband. Now, Jesus knows what the answer to this question is going to be, this instruction. And the woman kind of stops. You can kind of see her face, almost like drops her head. She says, um, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus responds, well, you're right, you don't have a husband. Uh, but then the man you live with right now is not your husband. But you've also been married several times before. And Jesus begins to kind of reveal the, the kind of the dirty laundry in her past. And she's confronted with this sin in her life these choices she's made. And it, 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 Scripture almost kind of washes over it, but I think there's this poignant moment where she starts to recognize she's not necessarily being judged, she's being loved. Jesus has met her in this well at this well, and he's having this conversation with her, and she responds differently. She doesn't deny. She doesn't rationalize. She doesn't justify. She engages with him now in this spiritual conversation. Recognize, sir, that you must be a prophet. And you're speaking into my life in ways that no one else has. And she says, but my ancestors, we worshiped on this mountain for a long time. This is how we do it. This is what we know. But you Jews, you Jews, say that we have to do it another way. See, she's, she's recognized there's something different in this conversation. But what she's really asking is, what makes your pizza better than ours? I appreciate that you're prophetic, and you know what I'm really about, what's really going on in my life. But, but what makes your way better than mine? Jesus, I love his response. He says, believe me. Believe me, there's a time coming when it's not going to matter where you worship, but rather who you worship. And the words believe me, it, it's not just a, like, we kind of use that as a, as a passing phrase, kind of a cliche moment, kind of a, we want to get your attention. What Jesus is saying is pastulio. It's a Greek word, meaning believe in me so strongly that it changes how you talk, how you walk, what you do, what you don't do, who you love, how you interact with others. It's a belief that changes everything about your life. Say, not just, not just listen to me because I'm telling you something that's true. It says, believe me, I'm bringing you living water. Pastulio. Go back to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in me, perstulio, the same word he uses for Nicodemus, he now uses for the woman at the well. Not only did Jesus invite the Pharisee, now he's inviting the Samaritan. 
You worship what you don't know. I'm just pointing it out. But now I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to become a true worshiper. Verse 23, yet a time is coming, now has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What do you need to be a worshiper of God? Come to him being drawn by the Spirit, and come to him acknowledging what is true. It's that simple. It's not about thick crust or thin crust or edge-to-edge toppings or extra cheese or, or cooking your crust and sauce and throwing cold cheese on top. It doesn't really matter what your preference is. That's not important. What the Father finds pleasing are those who come to him in spirit and in truth. God the Father creates us. Jesus, the Son, through his blood on the cross, redeems and saves us. The Spirit draws us, and we see the Trinity at work in our lives when it comes to our worship of the one that we're called to. Do you worship in spirit and truth? Or is it routine? Is it habit? Is it because I'm supposed to? The truth that she's confronted with in this moment is this is who you are. This is what you're doing. But I'm offering you more. I'm offering you life. When religion becomes an idol, our worship is no longer birthed in spirit and truth. She responds, well, I know that the Messiah is coming and he'll make everything clear. And he says, oh, hold on. I'm here. It's me. I am he. Can you imagine her response in this moment? As the spirit has very real in this conversation, as truth has been revealed to her, can you see her eyes get really big? A little bit of excitement for the first time, perhaps in a long time in her life, she's accepted, she's loved. Grace is being poured out in this moment. We never see in Scripture if she ever really draws water and gives Jesus a drink. I don't really think that matters. This moment, I can just see her kind of dropping everything because now she's getting excited. Her life is changing. Changing. About this time, the disciples, uh, they get done going through the drive through and they're on the way back to see Jesus. And then they walk right by, they come upon the scene, they see Jesus talking to this woman. And John points out that they didn't ask, why are you talking to her? It's almost like that's what was supposed to be. That was supposed to be their answer. But I think when John wrote his gospel many decades later, he realizes that probably wouldn't have been the best response. Because he sees what's happening in hindsight. But again... They walk right past her. See, even the disciples are missing it at this point. But something happens when the spirit and truth become real to us, in us. Verses 28 through 30 of John chapter 4, Then leaving her jar, the very reason she came to the well, she leaves it behind. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Which, by the way, was not a surprise to them. Those who knew her best lived in this town. They knew all of her dirty laundry. They knew all of her secrets. They knew all of her past. She runs back to town. And I don't know about you, but I don't usually run to those I know best and bring up the things that I've done wrong. I don't run to those that I know best and bring up my shortcomings. She does. She runs back to them. And here we see something so incredibly important when it comes to worshiping in spirit and in truth. So we have to be honest with who we are. And in so, in this moment, we see this act of repentance or response to repentance, this response to God's grace. Come and see what God's done. You know me. 
You know what I've done. You know who I am. Everyone knew her business. They knew who and what she was. Come and see this man who told me everything I'd ever done. Could this be the Messiah, she asked. They came out of the town. They made their way toward him. What we see in this moment is spirit and truth is attractive. Genuine worship draws others to God, not pushes him away. This woman was, was no stranger to those in the town, but her testimony is so compelling, the change in her is so obvious. While the Samaritans are coming to hear more, Jesus was still trying to teach those closest to him. See, in this interim, Jesus is now talking to his disciples who have just walked right past this woman twice. The disciples begin to have this conversation. Jesus tells them in verse 35, I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Jesus is telling his disciples, see what I see. See who I see. Start to get this understanding of what I'm really all about. Don't look at the woman the same way that the rest of our culture looks at them. See the opportunity for grace and redemption. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Right now, I believe the Holy Spirit's doing the same thing. He's revealing things to us that, that are in the way. Those things that we've allowed to, to create walls or, or those altars in our lives that we've allowed to be built up. And what we see in verse 39 is so critical. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Again, we see this incredibly powerful word, pestuyo. Pestuyo. They believed in him. We recognize in this story that belief is spread through our honesty, through our humility. Our story helps others find redemption. But the biggest obstacle for this piece of our lives, for this piece of our faith to become real, is pride. We're too proud to admit that we've fallen. We don't want to allow, we don't want to be humbled. What will people think if I confessed what's separating me from God? That's hard, I get it. I've been there. So instead of acknowledging it, we defend it. We justify it. We rationalize it. We, we, we make it okay. We make it part of the pizza that we like. It's acceptable. Or, or, or we don't just talk about it. it you know, if we kind of keep it in the closet, we don't have to acknowledge it. And in so doing, we, we strip away one of the key pieces that God uses to reach others. We'll get to that in just a moment. And in this moment, strongholds begin to be built up in our lives. Walls become fortresses. Eventually, they become the very altars that we worship. Pastor Steve Berger writes, A stronghold is a satanic lie. A generational mindset or a human wounding that, that we've come to listen to long enough or, or believe strongly enough or we own deeply enough that it becomes part of our identity. It's fortified itself in our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions, and our reactions. Strongholds in our lives become unholy filters through which all of thoughts pass. Think about your thoughts this week. Are they holy? It's an easy question. You already know the answer. If, if they're not, then there's a stronghold in your life that we've just come to accept. 
We've come to believe. We've come to allow to become part of our lives. And in so doing, we've allowed this stronghold to grow and to, to get bigger. And we begin building these altars in our lives we don't even recognize, even in our expression of our faith. Now, my pizza I'm going to talk about this week, I didn't go actually go there. I've been there quite some time. It's a place called CeCe's. Anybody remember CeCe's? CeCe's Pizza. It was, it was cheap. It was inexpensive. It was all you could eat. <laughs> the best of both worlds. They even had some unique toppings. It was the first time I ever had macaroni and cheese on a pizza. It's the last time I've ever had macaroni and cheese on a pizza. My kids love to go there because you could also get pasta or you could get the white, red sauce and the white sauce. You get different things. You could get salad. You know, as if all you can eat pizza needs to be interrupted by a salad. Then they had desserts. You could go get all the day, all you could eat desserts. It was a fun place for kids. If that wasn't enough, they had a little game room in the back with two or three video games. That was just enough to get the kids out of your hair for a few minutes so you could eat your macaroni and cheese pizza. So the, it was a place where you could go as a family. You wouldn't have to spend a lot of money, and the kids would be satisfied usually. And, well, it wasn't the best pizza, let's be honest. So why go? Well, we could have pizza and still have money in our pockets for the important things in life. We could, we could buy all we could eat and still have room for the other things that we truly desired. But what we've seen over time is that many CCs have closed. It's just not a sustainable model. How often do we approach church the same way? It's low cost or investment. It doesn't cost me a whole lot. It has unique offerings, kind of, kind of something fresh and new, or it has flash or lights that kind of draw us in. May not be the best, but our worship still allows room in my life for the things that I really want, the things I really desire. In so doing, religion becomes an idol. What can we fit in the box? The disciples, they eventually get it. We jump ahead several years, Matthew chapter 26, and there will come a point in time where I'll expound on this more, but for our purposes today, it's the Last Supper. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples sharing the Passover meal, and he's having communion with them. And then he gets to the point where he kind of talks to them about how one of you is going to betray me. One of you's got your, your heart's not right. This kind of appalls the disciples. They're really concerned. It shocks them. And around the room, they're asking each other, and eventually the Scripture tells us they turn to Jesus one by one, and they say, surely you don't mean me, Lord. The, the eleven look to Jesus, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Then Jesus turns to Judas, who I'm sure in that moment realized who Jesus was talking about. And then Judas says, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus' response is different. The other eleven come to see Jesus as Lord. Now, they've still got some growing. There. There's going to be some mistakes they make, even this very night. But Judas looks at Jesus differently. He sees him as a good teacher, still kind of a person of authority in his life, but just a good teacher, where the other disciples see him as Lord. See, when religion becomes our idol, Jesus is revealed as just a teacher in our lives, not our Lord. Who is he to you today? See, I, I can acknowledge that in my insecurities, in my selfishness, in my idolatry, I tend to run to the comfortable way or expression of my faith. The things I like, the things I can justify, the things I can rationalize. But 
What about those difficult times when confession is just too hard? Or I'm too proud? Or when serving others is inconvenient? Or when compassion is just too costly? I, I, I tend to run to my comfortable way of faith when obedience leads me away from, well, me. When being obedient to God costs me something, I tend to revert back to my comfortable with it, that my altar of religion. But I'm thankful in those moments that God still shows up and meets me at the well. He still goes out of his way to bring me good news. If we keep running back to these strongholds of our lives to make ourselves comfortable, these strongholds become altars. And the lie becomes real. This generational mindset, these woundings that we listen to, that we believe, that we own, become part of our spiritual identity. It fortifies itself in our thoughts and our beliefs and our actions. This unholy filter allows too many things in that don't belong. Eventually, these strongholds become walls. We tend to see ourselves as protectors of the church, of our beliefs, of our walls, of God, as if God needs defending. Church walls eventually become fences, keeping others out, locking us in. Instead of greeters, we become gatekeepers. Master chef, the type of pizza that we come to love. As I wrap up today, I believe it's time to tear down the altars in our lives, the walls we've built, the idols we serve. It's time for us to let God out of the box. And, and we've got a lot of altars here. It's time we let God have his way with us. What are the strongholds in your life? What are the things that are preventing you from worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Well, the story, as we've read today, begins with Jesus going out of his way to come to us. He's done that. He's here this morning, waiting. The second part we, we, we find comes from confession, repentance, admitting, acknowledging who we are. It's not a surprise to Jesus then we go and we testify. We, we, we're willing to tell others. There's incredible power in that. We see it in Revelation 12, verse 11. They triumphed over him, over Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, the grace of God, and by the word of their testimony. That's where we find spiritual power. Church, the good news that Jesus has for us today is he's still going out of his way for you and for me. The world may walk right by us, but Jesus sees us. He sits at the well with us. He's still offering living water. He desires to reveal in us the idols that separate us from him. This is good news. This is the good news. The grace is here this morning. As we close, Amy's going to come and sing a song we've been kind of talking about for several weeks. It's, I'll let the words be our invitation this morning. But I invite you to believe, to receive 
to throw away the foreign gods we've allowed into our lives. Church, I invite you to worship in spirit and in truth. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to have a word of prayer, just real briefly. As Amy sings, I just pray that the Spirit speaks to us. Our altars are open. The altar is open. A place where we can come and let God tear down our strongholds this morning. For those who will just be willing to be humbled. To let God reveal. To let him show us what's in between, what's separating us from him. Would you be willing to let God have his way this morning? Father, I pray for your people. I pray for myself today. You had to go to the well. You had to meet this woman. We don't even know her name. But God, we know her story. Someone who was living, Lord, in the midst of sin. Who put herself in a position where you were able to speak truth into her life. But offer her something so much more than she could ever have found on her own. You tore down walls that day. You tore down obstacles. Lord, I pray you would do the same here this morning. Have your way with us, Lord, today, I pray. Move among us. May your spirit draw us close to you. Will you reveal the truth to us? Lord, when confronted with it, we have a choice. May we call you Lord. You're so much more than a teacher. You've come to be our Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever would believe would have eternal life. Help us to receive, God, I pray. May the words of this song speak to you. Our altars are open this morning. Clear the stage and set the sounds and lights ablaze. That's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too, until the congregation's few. Then have revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social and Seek the Lord and pray for what he has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Because worship is more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper 
beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister shine a light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open and read the word Put to test the things you've heard Till your heart and soul Are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can Sing all you want to Yes you can Sing all you want to Yes you can Sing all you want to still get it wrong cause worship is more than a song and anything I put before my God is an idol And anything I want with all my heart is an idol. And anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. And anything that I Give all my love is an idol Cause I can sing all I want to Yes, I can sing all I want to I can sing all I want to And still get it wrong Worship is more than a song. Father, we want to get it right. I know you're still working, still speaking. Father, I thank you for that. pray, Lord, our belief would be defined by our actions. Through the word of our testimony, God, and the power of the blood of Jesus, we'd see victory and triumph. But Lord, we become a church defined not by what we offer, what we consume, Lord, but by who we are, by whose we are, by what we do, the way that we love, the way that we serve. Lord, there's a lot more people coming thirsty. For those that have received this living water, may we always be ready to give a drink, to share hope, to share life. Lord, I still think there's a lot of walls you need to tear down. I think the work continues. But I know that you'll be faithful. I know your spirit will continue to work. And Lord, if there'd be others that are still seeking, help them to know. They're not alone. 
their fears, Lord, right now that Satan's using to keep them right where they're at? What do you want? Are our, our heads need, Lord, because of what others might think? That in itself can become an idol. May your spirit continue to move and to work. Father, we thank you for your presence today. Be glorified, Father, as we go. Help us to share our story, your story. Be glorified in it. We pray and ask all of these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you. Have a great day. I can sing all I want to. Still.